From Baltimore, Maryland, this is The Stoop Sessions, a One Hope podcast. Join us for conversations about ministry on The Stoop. Learn more about our work at www.onehope.gives. Welcome back to The Stoop Sessions. Welcome back. Welcome. Welcome back. That's Mace. That is. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm Joel Kurz. Well, I'm Stephanie Greer. And I'm Eric Hill. Stephanie, what do we have on the docket today? You know I'm what? excited about this. I am too. This is a little bit more personal, I feel like, just geeking out. But You've been geeking out. You've been nervous about this phone call that you we're know, about to make. You know, some people are obsessed with LeBron yep. and probably the greats in my life. Um, are individuals that you should know. Yeah. So we're going to make a <laughs> phone so, call today. To, to probably one of my greats. And and who is it? Her name is Karen Ellis. She's I call her Auntie everybody. Karen. See, she, listen, Auntie Karen is is kind. Now, did I ask her if I can call her Auntie Karen? I did. You, you know? did? I did. Oh, I just okay. said, I feel like I want to you know, make You normally auntie. Stephanie does not get permission for the nicknames that she uses for people. No, but I, I, had, to, I had to come <laughs> correct with reverence. But... I mean, I could call her so many things, but one thing I'm really drawn about is her ability to draw in endurance, perseverance of saints, um, and help tie that in in a global way. Because so many times, we even where we're on the block, we're talking about our own neighborhood. But I think you'll be blessed by hearing Auntie Karen kind of make these connections. So we're just going to like give her a call. Yeah, and we should say, too, before we get rolling, that... Eric had his first, a second uh, COVID shot. Wait, can you say that because of HIPAA? <laughs> yes, I don't he think... can. I'm giving him the green light. I'm the well, patient. He spoke before <laughs> you gave him the green light. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so all that to say, if Eric, like, you feeling all right, buddy? I am. I'm good. I'm sweating know. a little, but I'm, I'm you good. You took work I'm off good. today. I did. But you're here on the stoop. It's 70 degrees outside. It man. is. I'm going to be on the stoop. So you know, no more aches and pains? Just uh, my arm. Um, well, okay. I got shot at, but other than that, you're feeling good. Yeah. Got the shot at, yeah. So you're not gonna be passing out on us. No, I'm not. I've been drinking fluids, so All I right. should. And be good. I, I apologize if I have uh, violated some hippo. You're fine. Hippo as long as he's okay I'm, I'm cool, with it. Man. Is it hippo? Hippa. Hippa. H i p p a. Hippa. Yeah. Joel, I can't even <laughs> this be why mad. I can't get any information on anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even be mad because it's very warm of you to ask Eric how he's doing. Yeah, I was curious. appreciate that, man. I was curious. That's I mean, the he's second time of the day you asked. He's got some uh, uh, sweat pouring down his face. Yeah, man. His sweat eyeballs, man. his right eyeball is sagging out of his head. Oh, no. He's Wait, sprouting. I'm watching you. You're fine. <laughs> I'm like, why am I sad? <laughs> I have an EpiPen if you need one. That can't help you, but that's I'm all good. I can have to contribute to this. All right, but you gave me Auntie Karen's... Can I call her Auntie Karen? I mean, you've got to ask her. Uh, I don't yeah, I was about to say. I'm going to call she, her. She's okay. Her name life. is actually Karen Ellis. I should probably say that. Karen Ellis. We're super proper. You gave me your here. number. Let's give her a call. Let's call her. Hello? Hi. Karen Ellis holds an MFA from Yale University and a Master of Arts in Religion from Westminster Theological Seminary. She is a doctoral candidate at the Oxford Center for Mission Studies in Oxford, England. 
She speaks and she writes on the theology of human rights, African-American culture, understanding Islam, and the persecuted church. She currently serves as the director of the Edmondson Center at RTS in Atlanta. And the Edmondson Center is focused on Christian endurance in the midst of competing cultural narratives. So we are so excited to have Karen on the stoop today. And so we trust you'll be encouraged. Hey. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hey. Here <laughs> this, we all are. This works. Here we are. Y'all call it the stoop because you're in Baltimore? You yep. got it. <laughs> you understand. I'm from Baltimore. Where? What part of Baltimore <laughs> are you from? I grew up in Northwest in Ashburton, right up from what used to be CCB, but now I understand it's BCC. Mm-hmm. Right up uh, from Mondalman Mall. Uh, Whoa, you're a Mondalman. Two, two, one, two, one, <laughs> I used to go to, yep, 21215. I used to go to Mondalman Mall to see Black Santa. How about that? He's <laughs> still, hey, he's still there. He really right. is. Is he really? He's wow. still there. He was even there last season, which was rough for all of us, yeah. right? but he was there. They actually just did a, he was in the newspaper this last year. Black Santa really? at Mondalman Mall. Yep. Big deal. Yeah, I've got I've got like endless pictures of me and my sister, and it's funny because in the picture, um, she would be well, she's two years older. She'd be wearing the coat, and then the next year I'd be wearing whatever coat she had on the year before. <laughs> I love it. That's For, like, awesome. Six years straight. That's awesome. So you grew up near Madonna Mall. Let's mm-hmm. can we can we go through your background a little bit? You grew up in Baltimore City. What high school did you go to? Western. Okay. Wow, we're giving. Wow, How this about is history. That? So my daughter's at Poly. <laughs> yep. On the other side of Western. Yep. When I was at Western Poly, it was all boys. That's right, and Poly or Western mm-hmm. still is all girls. That's right. Should be, as far as I know. Yeah, I graduated in nineteen eighty-four. Eighty-four. How about that? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. A Western mm-hmm. grad on the stoop. Mm-hmm. I, I'm on That's it. Right. On the stoop. This is this is good. Well, welcome. It's seventy five degrees out here, and uh, it's it's like you're sitting with us. Yeah. So I know, right? Do you know uh, McCullough Street, Druid Hill, Pennsylvania Avenue, the Upton neighborhood? Mm-hmm. My that's, mom grew up on McCullough Street. Okay, that's where we're at. I live on the fifteen hundred block oh. of McCullough. Joel just gave out his address. Oh. That, yeah. that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We did y'all. Do y'all call? Have you lived there long enough to call it Doodle? Doodle <laughs> Park? Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Eric has lived here his whole life. I've only been here 12 years. Ah, I've been here five, okay. but I'm, I'm getting hip to it. I'm getting hip yeah. to it. Yeah. Well, yeah, welcome. Welcome thank back you. to Baltimore. Welcome yes, to the studio. Thank you. I can, I can smell the old bay from here. Oh, it's yes. here. That's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now I want mm-hmm. it. So, could you walk well, us know, through. <laughs> walk us through a little bit of your story. So, Baltimore, Maryland to where? Oh, gosh. Oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> Baltimore, Maryland, to a lot of places. I, I was born with itchy feet. So um, let's see. Once I graduated from Towson State, um, I moved to um, New Haven, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And I worked on a master's there in drama and theater. Um, I came through Towson State theater program and then uh, went to New Haven. And then I moved to New York. And then uh, from New York, I started touring on um, Broadway National Tour and uh, did a lot of shows and did some things off Broadway and uh, traveled kind of the world. Um, got my first taste of international theater in Ukraine, in Eastern Europe. So I went a lot of places from there. Then I ended up on the West Coast. I ended up in radio for a while and uh, had a radio show there for about uh, eight years. Uh, waking up the Saints in Christian radio 
in the Pacific Northwest hmm. and in, um, yeah. So I was jumping over the border between, um, Seattle area and Vancouver. And then, um, then I moved back east and went to seminary. <laughs> it was it's, crazy. Wow. Indeed. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that makes total sense. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds like a hairpin turn, but it actually wasn't. Um, and uh, yeah, then I went to seminary in Philly um, at Westminster and got my degree there and mm-hmm. met my husband. And when I married him, I married Chattanooga, Tennessee. Right. <laughs> and so I moved from Philly to Chatty. And um, now we are working um, at um, Reformed Theological Seminary, uh, just north of Atlanta, which I love. I love being in Atlanta. And um, yeah, that's, that's where we are currently. Awesome. So I'm still traveling all over the place. I'm still traveling the world, which is great. As soon as the Rona lets me go, yeah. <laughs> I'll get, I'll get my passport out. I know. I got to dust off my passport and get back on a plane. Yeah. I'm going to live vicariously through your passport for right. at least seven months. <laughs> All right. So let's back up. Can we back up to the arts a little bit? Yeah, sure. You, you were on Broadway. I don't think uh, I ever I did knew a Broadway that. national tour. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I mean, from the time I was in, um, from the time I was like four or five years old singing into a hairbrush on Wabash and Liberty Heights, um, I wanted to be an actor. And so I trained for that my whole life. I geared towards that. And then, uh, you know, I did just about everything I wanted to do. I did, you know, movie, I did TV, I did, um, and a lot of theater, a lot of live theater. And wow. um, then God, God called me to something else. Wow. Now you're at the Edmondson mm-hmm. Center, right? At RTS? I, yes, I am at the Edmondson Center, and we love it there. So much to unpack about that. Yeah. But yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. So I think I have a way to transition here. You so so <laughs> if you were on Broadway, you probably sing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not going to ask you to sing over the phone unless you would like to. Um, I was at a conference <laughs> once, and you bust you, you were giving a, giving gospel. a talk, yeah. and you busted out in song. It was actually here in Baltimore. Oh, oh, another yeah, it was one. At Unplugged Just kidding! You might Church. do that more oh, than once. Yeah. And you busted out in song. Uh, it was it was a, a lament. Mm. Yeah. And it yeah. was beautiful. And oh, then you kind of had this monologue of a presentation that was just remarkable. Oh, I remember that conference. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I was impacted by it. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, wow. What was I talking about? Do you remember? Well, you were talking about, I believe, the uh, slave religion. Does that sound ring a bell? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the lament about, of, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of African American slaves uh, mm-hmm. and and their uh, clinging mm. to faith, and that's one thing that we wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, we wanted mm-hmm. to hear what what can we learn from the stories of African American saints uh, from the past in yeah. terms of perseverance amidst persecution. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. An, I mean super easy question to just start off our, our lovely casual conversation. <laughs> let's jump in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, let's get in it. How long is a podcast anyway? You know, it's I as mean, long as you want to talk. Learn, we're here. You know? yeah. yeah. We're here. When you're yeah. done with us, just say I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and it's <Complete>. over. <laughs> well, there's so much that we can learn, you know. So I, I I maybe I should back up a little bit and tell you how I came to this um came to speaking about this because that's a pretty consistent theme I've been talking about for the last 20 years. So when I, when I first became a Christian, cause I was, uh, I might've been a church organist and, you know, directing choirs when I was younger, but I was, I did not know, um, Jesus, um, in a personal saving way. 
Um, but he had his eye on me and he kept me. And so when I was um, transitioning really into the world and, you know, I became a Christian. I became a Christian at Yale University um, and when I was in grad school. And I just, you know, I realized I believed is what happened. And right after that, I started traveling um, to countries that were had been under communism behind the Iron Curtain, and I saw the you know I saw the church being reborn in some ways um, into a freer condition than they had been living under communism. Mm. And so I got interested in um, in you know Christian perseverance and endurance, and you know Christians living under hostility around mm. the world. And one of the reasons that I became interested was as the descendant of slaves, um, I could actually show you a picture of the, the plantation where my family was held. Oh, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, we were emancipated from that, that uh, condition into, you know, broader American society. And I saw a lot of connections between um, Christians who were enslaved in America and the conditions I was seeing people who had lived under communism, um, people who had lived under totalitarian regimes um, mm. or authoritarian regimes. And so I kind of started to see, and people who were living on the margins of society, um, even in, um, even in uh, urban situations, mm -hmm. uh, where the, the oppressive force may not be the government necessarily, um, it may be the, you know, the folks who run the streets, mm. um, who run the cities. You know, I know pastors who, you know, they've been, they've had their homes shot up by drive-by mm -hmm. because the, the drug uh, community is invested in seeing people and not seeing people change. Mm. They don't want to see people liberated yeah. and begin to flourish because that's, that's money out of their pockets, yeah. right? It disturbs the system. And so I started just drawing all these different connections um, between people who live on the margins. And that's what the Edmiston Center is about. We analyze and um, uh, the study um, people throughout history and around the world today in various cultures who exist and thrive and promote the kingdom and advance the kingdom from the margins. So that's kind of how I came to talking about kingdom-minded saints um, mm. who are living... Um, you know, closer to the story of the kingdom of God, like they're living like the book of Acts. Um, they read the book of Acts and they walk outside their doors and they see it coming to life. Yeah. And they're consistent markers of suffering. So, you know, I mean, just to throw out three um, of this different kind of community that cuts against all other communities and cultures around it, like I like to look at their priorities, um, you know, how their ethics, how, what they, what they, mm -hmm. like they say, how their say matches their do, mm -hmm. right? And in, in the academy, we see how their ethics and epistemology go together. But, you know, um, just, you know, on the back, on the stoop, we're just going to say how, what they believe about God and what they, how, what they say they believe about God, what God has revealed about himself and how they obey God, mm -hmm. how those two things match. I can understand That's good. that. Yeah. Thanks yeah. Thanks for putting it yeah. on the stoop so, for me. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I mean, we need to, right? Yeah. Because when when our say, what we say, doesn't match what we do, because old people told us say ought to match do, right? Mm. But when our say doesn't match our do, we get things like Christian slaveholders, right? Mm. God has revealed himself and revealed information about humanity and revealed information about his mission 
to create a people and sustain a people and keep a people all the way to Revelation 7, 9, yeah. where they, they look, they're all the same at the bottom, at the foot of the cross. Yeah. But you got these Christian slaveholders who are saying, well, that's the God I believe in, but they do don't match. Mm. Right. And so, you know, who were these people throughout history who passed the kingdom ball forward to us where their stay matched their due? What were their priorities? What was their presence like in their community? Mm-hmm. Um, what what was their their incarnate their incarnationality mm. like in their communities? And then their practices. Um, they, they were often focused on the basics: prayer, discipleship, mm. wisdom, stealth, transformation. Right? If you come, you got a gospel that radically transforms your the way you see the world and the way you process information, that's going to change the way you operate in your community. It's going to change the way your family sees you. What's their response to it? You know, do they get angry when you start to change? Are they like, oh, you're not like you were before. What? I can't count on you to do the things you wanted to do. Mm. So, you know, I just find consistently that um, priorities, presence, and practice are, are you know, fairly consistent things to look for in those kinds of communities on the margins, whether they're in enslaved communities in history, whether they are in um, uh, people living in under um, uh, totalitarian regimes in closed countries, whether they're people living on the margins in rural Appalachia, Christians living in rural Appalachia, trying to battle the Quebec community there. Um, what, are the, what are our commonalities more than looking at what are our differences? Mm. That's good. Who who so, would you say are some people, um, maybe that you've read about, um, you know, in church history, um, that mm. are like some unsung heroes of the faith mm. that we will oh find encouraging today? Oh yeah. Well, there's some, there's been some really good, like the whole move lately um, to kind of rediscover the overlooked voices has been so good yeah. for those who yeah, are about us who so are on good. the on the rear end because people are going and they're like, man, these people are all over history, but we haven't been teaching about people about them. So um, I would start with this. There's two folks named Alonzo and Althea Edmiston for whom our center is named. Um, They're HBCU grads. She went to Fisk. He went to Stillman. And they were operating at the turn of the last century with a whole other group of folks named William Shepherd, William and Lucy Shepherd. And they were actually the first African-American missionaries um, uh, to go to West Africa, mm. sent out by my denomination, uh, the Presbyterian Church in America, which mm-hmm. back then was under a different name. Right. But uh, we, we claim them as our own. And they did amazing work in Congo, free state of Congo. Um, And they gave their lives to that work. And they were, they weren't like just, you know, get your ticket from hell to heaven saints. They were doing like faith and work projects. There's a great uh, book by Kimberly Hill about them. Um, She's a sister at, uh, I think she's in Dallas, at Dallas Dallas University. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyways, you can find her on Amazon. Dr. Kimberly Hill, and she's researched not just how they how they um, did what they did in Congo, but how the HBCUs prepared them mm. for that specific work. It's a great book. So that's her book on Alonzo and Althea Edmiston. Uh, my, my, my dear uh, spiritual daughter, Jasmine Holmes, 
has a new book coming out that highlights 12 African-American mission-oriented women. Yeah. They were teachers, businesswomen, missionaries, luminaries, thinkers. That's going to be coming out in the next year. Um, there's folks like, um, the people have written a lot of books about like um, Equiano, Phyllis Wheatley, mm-hmm. um, who we know is a poetess, but right. she's also a, the- a theologian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you recommended. I'm just saying, you recommended mm-hmm. that book a couple of years ago, and I, I read through That's it. And right. I'm like, she understood. I think maybe what you're alluding to with the Edmondsons, but holistic care. Like we have to use a word for it now, but I think they probably just understood being saved. Yeah. <laughs> like affects every aspect of your life, and so yeah. it's so f- yeah. it's funny that we you know, we're talking about holistic care and how we think and live in Baltimore because I think in some ways we've strayed away from that. Hey, here's theology and our, our do and our, our say need to match. But, um, you know, when I was looking up the Edmondson seeing that they were helping teach language schools and mm-hmm. different trades, it seemed like they, they didn't have a conflict of understanding that God saves all of us and all of us need yeah. to be redeemed and all of us have been impacted by the fall. And so we, yeah. we would, we, it seems like they, they understood the journey of that. So I do. They really did. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's a virtue, you know, to understand that the gospel is so, so round and so deep mm. and so expansive. It's like, um, I don't know, it's like pouring water into a place where there are all sorts of cracks and crevices. It's got to go everywhere, mm. right? It's got to fill like everything. There's a lot of, but there are a lot of great historical things. There are some that are like, there's a, a fellow who was a part of that Wheatley um, Equiano band named Atoba Kuguano. And these, this is the crazy part is we're talking like 1700s. These are Africans who are published, right? So like any person being published was a big deal back then. Mm-hmm. But we have these people's stuff in writing. Yeah. Um, preserved for us. And that's that just, that to me, that's the hand of God, yeah. right? Um, so you can go and read their stuff. There's a great um, community that I'm writing, working and researching about right now. Um, they were Moravians on St. Thomas Island. They called their story the Black Book of Acts. Mm. It is so good. It's an amazing multi-ethnic work in the 1800s, 1700s. Um, where they are literally, they're, they're a group of um, three people of color, some enslaved people, um, and uh, some European Moravians, and they impacted that little island so much. Um, it became one of the largest, um, one of the largest Christian works in their day. And so they started seeing people from the plantocracy come to, come to faith in Christ, but they also started... Um, like one of the things that they realized, this particular group realized, was one of the biggest assaults on Christian witness was how families were being destroyed. Mm. So they entered into the system and developed a, uh, a sugar plantation of their own just so they could keep their families together. And they started ransoming people. And so, you know, yeah. people are working as employment rather than enslavement wow. just so they could keep their families together. It's a great story. You can read about them in a book by, uh, called Rebecca's Revival by a fellow named John Sinsbach. Um, but a lot of people are starting to write about them as well. It's, it's there's, there's so many of these stories. And that's just the African diaspora. There's stories like this of people, um, the hiding place, Corey Tenboom. There's yeah. stories like hers all over the place. 
Um, just it's just exciting to see historians mining people and places where the church got it right. Instead of, you know, oh, we have so much mountain of evidence for the places where the church failed and stumbled yeah. and got it wrong. And I'm like, we got to put some other stuff on the other side of the scale or else right. we're going to fall into despair. You yeah, know? that's good. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eric, for asking about those, those places, because those are touch points that encourage us and teach us how to be stealthy. They teach us how to um, the value of living life, Christian life on the margins. There's a lot to be learned and mind from folks who are in compromised positions where, you know, people are hostile towards Christianity because they don't want people to change. What would be the value of hearing about those stories? Um, I think it gives us hope. I think it encourages us that um, God delights in small, mm, um, that he, he, there, that he, that, you know, the kingdom is advanced in the Bible by mm. people who, you know, we don't know their names. And that God, it, it reminds us that God is doing what he said he was going to do from yeah. Genesis to Revelation. Genesis, he said, I'm going to make me a people that, for myself that are going to worship me. We mess it up. Mm. And he's <laughs> like, I'm still going to keep y'all. And yeah. we look at these folks that have been overlooked and we realize, we realize that there has been a line of people throughout redemptive history, throughout kingdom history, that are on their way to the throne in Revelation. Yeah, that's good. When we're all going to show, and you know what? It also reminds us that not only does he cross, cut across ethnicities with his promise, his covenant promise, he says... He sums up the whole Bible in his, co- in his covenant promise. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. The whole Bible is him working, at, working that out. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I will be your God and you will be my people. It's yeah. going to be okay. I'm going to do it. But not only does it cut across um, nation, tongue, and tribe, we look at places like Jeremiah, it cuts across class. Mm, we good. get to Jeremiah and he says, um, not just every nation, tongue, and tribe, the promise made to Abraham, but he says in Jeremiah 31, 33, the covenant covers class too. He says, from the least to the greatest. Mm, that's right. I will be your God and you will be my people. And that just bucks against everything the world tells us about mm. the overlooked. Eric was just playing oh, he was B3 tuning you up really organ. you can't see it <laughs> come we, on we, we oftentimes get we get here and then we're like this this the gospel makes a soul happy that's Eric's quote that's right I can't even steal It'll it make but a man happy it just says. it makes yes. a, a happy man so like you talking about that makes me think about another another thing that we run into a lot about uh, being in Baltimore. And one is the issue of identity. So this has like 17 parts and you can make it three parts. But this is really, uh, this is the essence. So one, individuals either feel duped by what they would say Christianity feels like a white man's religion. You know, my identity was taken away from me my mm. ancestors so I need to I need to go pursue my ancestors because I don't I don't have any identity um, it's been mm. taken or the culture is telling me um, who I am and at least it's something I can identify with because someone is giving me purpose or a place and so I guess my mm. question for you is like how does one who's been in situations of poverty or or l- those who are on the margin those who 
uh, would would feel like they are the lowly, how do they pursue true identity? What's the basis of their worth? Um, mm-hmm. As as mm-hmm. you know, flourishing looks different um, to other people. I think some individuals have a very distorted view of what flourishing means. It seems more like slavery. Yeah. But like, could you just speak to right. that? Like, what does it look like for identity? Yeah, when you feel like you don't. Have yeah, one? you know, it it really uncouples a lot from what culture tells us our identity should be and how we should render that. You know, man, man's job, is, it's, it's really arrogant what we do, is our job isn't to assign value over people. That was never intended to be our job. It's not our place. Um, doing so, you know, we know this is a product of being in a fallen world. Human beings don't belong on market value. Mm. Um, only Christ knows the true value of a person. And nobody... Um, understands the margins better than he does because this you're talking about the creator of the world the creator of the universe shrinking himself into the margins of creation to become like us wow and then dying to who who understands the margins better than christ i mean you can talk about Mm. his marginalized position in society sure you know he was he was he wasn't he wasn't a legalistic jew he wasn't Roman. Uh, he was poor, um, you know. And you know, so yes, he was on the margins of society, but he was on the mar. He shrunk himself to the margin of the universe, mm. Mm. and wow. then he became like us. He died to redeem us from trying to determine the worth of others and ourselves. You know, that's wash what. Me, that's wash what me with the gospel, Auntie. Watch <laughs> I, can I call you Auntie? Because I do anyway. <laughs> yes. Come on, I'm making a man happy. I love this being is, called on. Listen. No, he literally shows us our value and our worth at the cross and at the empty tomb. And that he shows everybody across every class mm. that we're on one, the one hand, we're nothing without him. Yeah. And on the other hand, we're everything with him. So you've just heard part one of our conversation with Karen Ellis. Check us out for our next episode on part two. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening to the Stoop Sessions. Be sure to catch us next time. As One Hope exists to build healthy churches in the inner city, check us out and connect at www.onehope.gives.